turn to this evening's guests, who do require no introduction, but I trust you'll indulge me. Um, it's my very great pleasure to introduce American-British playwright, novelist, and critic, and indeed, I think it's fair to say, a really great friend of Ireland. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Greer. Bonnie, Bonnie was born in Chicago, where, as I think the whole of the UK knows now, uh, they dye the rivers green, ladies and gentlemen. Um, she travelled extensively before deciding to settle down in the UK, and she is, of course, a prodigious writer. Her works include the novels Hanging by Her Teeth, Entropy, A Parallel Life, the plays Montenegro, Dancing on Blackwater and Jitterbug, the musical Marilyn and Ella and the opera Yes, a powerful body of work that explores a vast array of themes, including life as a woman and life as part of a minority cultural group. Bonnie's work, crucially, sheds a light on issues that have great need of discussion, perhaps that those that receive all too often limited attention. In addition to her work as a, as a playwright and a novelist, she is an astute and incisive political and social commentator, writing on a wide range of subjects from Brexit to the European Union, and I think one of her favorites to the US elections. Um, she is a free... <laughs> she doesn't have strong views on, on that topic at all. Um, she is a very, she's a frequent media contributor with some panache and has appeared on numerous programs and panels from Newsnight to Question Time to Sunday Morning Live. And indeed, it was her unforgettable appearance on Question Time a couple of weeks ago at this stage uh, that went viral, prompting, I think it's fair to say, an enthusiastic response in Ireland and indeed in parts of the United Kingdom, as, as you mentioned yesterday on, on Miriam's uh, radio show. I think you had people in tube stations coming up to you afterwards uh, for selfies. And it's fair to say you, you managed, Bonnie, that singular feat of breaking the internet with about a, a one minute, 16 second clip of, of that. What, but what was more remarkable, ladies and gentlemen, was that the essence of Bonnie's message on that evening's program was very simple. And in its simplicity, its powerfulness and impact resonated. She showed clearly the importance, I think it's fair to say, of speaking truth to power, of debating, of engaging, and probing the changing role of politics and global relations, as we see clearly with developments across the globe, from US politics to Brexit. And as Bonnie said, democracy is a word. Anybody can claim it, and they do. Um, another acclaimed playwright connected to Ireland, George Bernard Shaw, once said that the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So that statement is proving true on various political programs and panels, but that is why Bonnie's comments on Question Time were so important, because they actually communicated something, and something that for a lot of people here in Ireland and in the UK, it matters, it resonates, and it means something. And I want to thank Bonnie very sincerely for taking the time to be with us uh, here tonight. She has braved technological <laughs> catastrophes. Um, and uh, I mean, that is not an exaggeration, I think it's fair to say. Also delayed flights, the weather, I mean, you know, but we are for here. She is here and we are delighted to, to, to have her here. And I'm also very grateful and would like to thank our interviewer for, for this evening, um, Miriam O'Callaghan. Suffice to say, Miriam is one of Ireland's most foremost uh, broadcast journalists 
and she is renowned for being one of our defining voices on the nation's issues. So I'm absolutely delighted that Miriam has agreed to, to interview and, and chat with Bonnie, and I'm really looking forward uh, to the, this evening's proceedings. So the format for this evening is Bonnie's going to deliver some of her her, her wide-ranging thoughts and, and comments. I'm calling them thoughts. That's, uh, that's what I was told to say, so we're going with thoughts. She will then have a conversation with Miriam. And then, ladies and gentlemen, over to you in the audience, um, an opportunity to pose some questions. I'm sure it's going to be uh, a lively uh, evening. And I'll, I'll just finish on this one. As JFK once said, too often we enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. So... Bonnie oh, Over so to you. Thank you. Thanks so much there to Noelle. And just before I introduce Bonnie, just to say, Noelle, thanks to you very much, because I do think you're Absolutely. a beacon of Absolutely. hope and Absolutely. conversation. Yeah. Okay, Bonnie, take it away. I, I just have to say that was one of the finest introductions of myself I've ever had. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was great. Now, as Noel said, I've had catastrophes today. This is my speech. So I'm, I'm, if, if I stumble, it's because I can't read this thing. But So I'll just stop. And um, if I can, yeah, well, you know, I'm telling you, it was a crazy day. Okay. My first encounter with anyone or anything Irish was at school. My late father, who worked nights six days a week on assembly line uh, to keep us all housed and fed and to keep our mother at home with us, worked that much harder to send us to Catholic grammar and uh, the first two years in Catholic secondary because he felt that the schools, the Catholic schools were safer we grew up in a segregated neighborhood, which was actually a de facto ghetto. So the schools weren't great, but the Catholic schools were better. And of course, if you were baptized Catholic, your fees were cheaper. So the whole family was baptized en masse, so to speak, um, by a young parish priest uh, by the name of uh, Daniel Millette, who, of course, was Irish, and he stayed in contact with us mostly for the rest of his life. He was a great man, great civil rights advocate, great advocate of working people and of ethnic minorities, of his own people too. His background was Irish, as were the nuns, who used to say to us when we were naughty in this classroom full of black kids whose parents and grandparents have been Mississippi sharecroppers, the nuns would say, you children get our Irish up. And I used to think, well, that must be something bad. And, <laughs> and of course, my first president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, who had to persuade American voters that he would not be consulting with the Pope on matters of state. This was really for real and it was really bizarre. Meghan Markle may have written to Hillary Clinton when she was a little girl, but I wrote to John Paul, what was it, 23rd, what was it, John Paul? Yes, yes. Oh, I wrote to John Paul to ask for some clarification on why women 
created in the image of God, could also not be his priests. I'm still waiting on that answer. <laughs> and you will be waiting. I know, on the other side too. The other side of my experience with the Irish was the machine, the formidable Democratic Party political organization that literally ran Chicago like a mafia state in those days and who made the St. Patrick Day Parade back in the 60s look like a Kremlin march past. My first adult play told the story of what was called the Red Summer of 1919 when Chicago was ablaze, set by ablaze with the African-American community and the Irish-American community, two communities fighting against one another for the same space, the same jobs, the same bit of the American dream. And in many cases, this is still true today. Irish America is on one side of the battlefield fighting for equality and for justice and for peace. And on the other side of that battlefield, they make up a large population of Trump America and cult of Trump. But it was an American who said, I think he's based in the UK, who said that what he discovered about the Irish living outside of America, and that the Irish are the only white folks with no white privilege, as opposed to in the US, when Irish American demographic, usually working class, usually poor, and white privilege is all they think they've got. I've uh, been told by a few Irish people of color who live here, they wanted me to say that their encounter living with brown skin and black skin here in Ireland is a different situation. I told them that I would say this to you in this room respectfully, and that this place of the beginning of the Republic is an important place to say that, because Ireland fought and still fights against centuries of oppression, of colonialism. And because of that, and because of you, it emboldens me to say that male privilege and racism is not the beacon anywhere in the world that we want, that none of us want. Your embracing of me is a huge and beautiful surprise, and I'm grateful to you all, and I feel particularly close to this country because I've always felt, living in London for three decades now, and by the way, I also love the UK, which has been kind and open to me, that Ireland is treated, and we African Americans have a saying, uh, Ireland is treated like a bald-headed stepchild talked over, talked about, decided upon, ignored, and the UK simply has no right to do that. As an African-American woman, I can feel this. I can feel it, and I know it when I see it. I know it when I hear it, and that's why I say to you, Ireland owes the UK nothing. But what it does owe the EU if I may humbly suggest, is first of all, its insouciance, the daring of the republic itself, and its ideals, and its aspiration, and all of these are continuing goal. 
As Benjamin Franklin said, after framing the US Constitution, a lady walked up to him and said, doctor, what do we have? A monarchy? He said, we have a republic, if you can keep it. And that's what we're fighting for in the United States. The goal of this republic, of this Irish republic, is its very existence and its insistence that being Irish and European are compatible. Ireland is Europe, and Europe must strive in its multinationality to work for peace, to work for reconciliation, and the beginning at, and, and continuing the search for truth as the beginning of prosperity for all human beings. As an internationalist, I stand with Ireland in the world. And as a citizen of a republic, I stand with the republic. And as a descendant of a people who crossed the Atlantic on a boat facing oblivion, I stand with you who know what it means to be on a boat going to a new place. Some place that even though the old place was bad, and even though you were taken against your will, you turned and faced the void. That's what some of our ancestors did. When we, all humans, understand that, that no harsh, no matter how harsh the old place would be, we move forward and our ancestors decided to live. And you and I, African-American and Irish, we looked across the wide sea. We looked across the void and we decided we were going to survive for ourselves and for our children and for the future. Thank you for listening to me. That was just so great and interesting. Would it, everybody stand on? Because I was just talking. I suddenly saw people. What happened? Do people stand? What? Oh, clap? Or what happened? No, what did I say? Oh, wait, I missed my mind. They just clap to applaud how great you were. I don't know. No, it's I'm an just, Irish thing. Oh, all right. Okay, I'm spinning. I'm spinning out of control. Right. Yes. No, no, no. And interesting, the point you made there about migration, we'll, we'll come back to that because it's actually a really topical issue at the moment in our country. First of all, how much do Irish people in the UK love you since your appearance in Question Time? Well, on a scale of one to ten. I don't know. I mean, I'm, uh, people walk up to me. I know. And, I, and it's very... I, when you live in the United Kingdom, the culture is English, largely. And the English are very quiet. You get to know how much they care about you because they're emotional as everybody else, but they hmm. don't walk up to you I'm and just start out. talking. Yeah. Yes, and so... When someone's heading toward me now and just talking, I think, ah, this is an Irish person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm right. And, and I'm right. I'm usually right. Yeah. And before you said that that night on Question Time, which so many Irish people loved, did you know when you said it, it would become as big as it did? And had you had a connection with the Irish community in the UK before that? Okay, okay. Now, I, you know, honestly, Miriam, I don't even know how even came out of my mouth. I don't know what happened. It was so good, though. I know, but I don't know what... Something pissed me off, and I don't know what it was. 
I think it was just the vibe. I don't know. I just thought, you know, I'm sick of hearing this. I'm sick of this. You know, you people don't realize that there's only one politician who has an open door to the Oval Office. There's only one person on earth who has mm. an open door. Okay, he's carrying a shamrock. And blah, blah. But nevertheless, the Queen doesn't have an mm. open invitation. The Pope can't get in there. Uh, it's, the, it's the Prime Minister of Ireland every year whether it's Trump, Obama, Bush, or whatever, maybe one day we'll have a woman in there, it will be the president, it will be, sorry, the prime minister, because mm. I'm, I'm nervous about saying the name, because I don't want to the T-shirt. Think of T-shirt. T-shirt, okay, the T-shirt. <laughs> the T-shirt, the T-shirt, okay. Is welcome, has an open door, and goes there. And I think the English, I think, you know, they were like sitting there with their mouths open. I said, you know, what did you people understand mm. that if you want to see the Republicans and the Democrats who hate each other right now, but if you want to see them come together, just mess with Ireland. That's how they come together. So if you want to see unity, just say something or do something against this country. And, you, and I thought they knew that. But I hear you, Bonnie, and I love hearing what you're he saying. But I'm not sure that's completely the case. I mean, I think the worry for us in Ireland is we unintentionally ended up being the problem with Brexit, with the backstop, right? And because people in your country, the government, your government hadn't thought enough about Ireland. I mean, that was the root cause, wasn't it? Ireland simply wasn't on their horizon for British people when they voted. But see, Ireland never is. And mm. that's, an, like, my favourite thing that I tweet is from Samuel L. Jackson. Um, he um, just, go, just, go. I love this. Um, who is he talking about? Um, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, yeah. yeah. So this English reporter said, um, Colin Farrell is like, and this is a couple of years ago, like 10 mm. years ago. So Colin Farrell is like really, really hot uh, right now and uh, in the United States. And, Always. And, by yes. And, and, and Samuel L. Jackson said, well, he's, he's, hot, he's hot here too. Oh, she said, oh, we don't talk about him. He said, why? She said, well, he's one of our own. And Samuel Jackson said, I thought he was Irish. And she said, yeah, he is, but, you know, Ireland is next to us. That's what she said. And he said, see, the problem with you people, you English people, <laughs> is you keep claiming, folks, that you don't own. <laughs> so, I, you know, that's your problem. So, you know, people used to do it. He said, people used to do that in America. We called it slavery. So you need to just, you need to stop claiming people you don't own. So that's my favorite. Yeah, no, that's so good. They do it all the time, even with sports people, actually. Yes, it's crazy. But on, I suppose, the point about Ireland, do you not feel that a lot of people, and you, as you say, love the United Kingdom, you live there, they got slightly annoyed with us now. I'm being a devil's advocate because they see us as being a hindrance for some time now, over a couple of years, to Brexit happening, as they say, that it was a problem with us and our backstop that caused a problem for Brexit, for the 51% who voted for it. Well, the thing I didn't get a chance to say on air was that the geography of Ireland is not Ireland's problem. I mean, this is a British problem. That's their thing. They have to deal with this. Uh, why Ireland has to apologize or explain why Ireland is, you know, built the way it is, is is not an Irish issue. And I think, um, 
you know, uh, the United Kingdom, some people in the United Kingdom need to turn around and kick somebody, and that is Ireland. You know, why not kick Ireland? And they, I, I, did, I guess I thought at one point, I, I just couldn't understand why everyone, well, the press, at a certain point, turned on the Republic. It's turned on Ireland. So um, it's, 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 um, it's a thing I don't think the culture is conscious of because it's always about, you know, who is our color people is the Irish. So we would just kick them around a bit when we can't figure out what we need to do with ourselves. So we'll turn around and we'll kick you guys. And I, I just, uh, it, to me, it looked as if Ireland made itself even more European in a way, which I really liked. It seemed even more to sort of stand up for the project and, 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 uh, oh, and the idea of it. It's a bit, it's complicated. I think a lot mm. of English friends of mine go, the North and the Northern Ireland, it's even saying the North or Northern Ireland in itself is loaded in this yeah, country. Yeah, it is. It's just complicated. It is. Well, look, we were talking earlier about the night you went to bed and you woke up and Brexit had happened. They had voted yes, for it. Yes, yes. Were you shocked and surprised? And do you think, as someone who was an immigrant into the United Kingdom originally, that part of the problem was migration? Well, you know, uh, again, I'm going to say this as an outsider because I didn't grow up in the culture, so there's a lot of things I don't know. But in a way, looking at it from the outside, of course the referendum was another ploy of the conservative government to keep their right wing in the party because mm -hmm. the party was splitting. So David Cameron uh, called this referendum, which of course technically he had no right to say that they would promise to implement the result, because the uh, because so much of UK law is within uh, uh, EU law, mm. and Parliament had to ratify it. The Prime Minister, the government couldn't do it. So that was one promise that was broken to people, and they were pissed off. He should have known that, and you would think his Attorney General would have said, actually, we can't make that promise because we have to go back to Parliament to even ratify the result. But he didn't do that. The second mistake was that then he decided to campaign for Remain himself. You know, and I think a lot of what Brexit is, is that. Um, I think that austerity, particularly in the North, really hurt people. I think the Labor government um, didn't pace immigration well. I, I, it actually was quite strange in mm. a way because the UK is an aging country. Its average age is 41 years old. Uh, it does need immigration. It needs it badly. It needs people coming in. And I think that what the Labour government under Blair didn't do was help people prepare people for mm. and tell people the truth. I mean, tell, you know, tell the, you know, say to Britain, we are an aging society. We are not making babies fast enough. We can't make them because we are average age 41. So therefore, until our next trope grows up, because there is a baby boom lower, but these babies are 10 years old. So until they get grown up, we're going to have to have people, which is what Germany did. I mean, they're not stupid. You need people to come in so you can keep your industries going, you can keep your work going. But because the conservative government had neglected the North so much, and these people felt, and I don't blame them, they felt cut off. They felt disenfranchised. Yeah. Suddenly a bit they, like the people who voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. Actually. They were all the same people. I mean, they woke up the <clears> next <throat> day and their, their bakery was gone and maybe there was a Polish yeah. shop there. They, nobody talked to them. 
Nobody said anything to them. Nobody said, look, our society, we're 41 and a half years old average. We do need these young Polish workers. We need their enthusiasm. Let's sit and talk. You know, let's see what we can do. They didn't do that. Mm. And the British government always imposes on the British people, and that's partly why we are where we are. To say I was shocked, yes, because um, the result was very narrow, and it's never, ever publicized as a draw, because it technically is, 42, what is it, 40, well, it 48, 52. Well, it, I mean, one, no. well, let me put it this way. It was a simple majority, okay. which was stupid. It should have been a super majority. Okay. But it was a simple majority, which means one person could have tipped it. Yeah. And that's what literally happened. Uh, and so we now are in a space where we don't have a, a mandate. We have one million people who've decided which way this country's going to swing. And that is real bad because we don't have any healers in the country at the moment. Do you accept that any chance to try and remain is gone? You know, over even the past year or two, people often said there could be a new vote, vote remain, but the movement even, we were talking about that earlier, in itself has fragmented the movement trying to get a vote remain. So have you given up on that? Do you think there could be, or have we lost that moment? Well, I'm, I'm an advocate and always have been of millennials just taking over the world. I mean, I've gone to, um, you know, I've said this in front of corporations. I said, listen, if it's just a matter of teaching a 22-year-old where the executive bathroom is or how to act, you know, in a board meeting, give them a crash course or something. We need their brains. We need them. We need them. I, I forgot the question. No, just do you think the vote has the chance of a remain vote? For someone like you who would like to remain in the EU as part of the United Kingdom, do you accept or do you believe that moment has passed for a vote like that? I think if young people are, if they can get geared up to vote, mm. it will flip the script. They will do it. Mm. I have total faith in them. They will do it. They have to be able to be given the chance to do yeah, it. Yeah, but will they get that chance, I suppose? Well, um, yeah. I think even if the conservatives uh, get in and get a majority, I think young people are going to, I think, we could see a Hong Kong. Really? Yeah, I just felt that suddenly. I think if I were 22 years old right now, I would be pissed off. I would be pissed off that I can't go and work where I want to work, where I can't study where I want to study, where I might not be able to travel, and all these older people got all that, and I don't get it, and now, you know, I want to go and study abroad, and I can't, or it might be, I would just be enraged, and I think because young people now are just working so hard, trying to make ends meet, they haven't got a lot of money, they just need one person to stand up and say, hey, and mm. I think it's a worldwide movement, where just young people, stand, someone to stand up and say, you guys got shafted, you know, you got these older people running around and they've got, I mean, I don't want to do a generational war, but I do think, no, I don't, I really don't, because I don't think that's useful. But, you know, this thing, okay, boomer, and stubby, I'm a boomer. Um, <laughs> you know, this okay, boomer mm. thing, I think, is, is really crazy and dangerous. Uh, but I do think that young people have been done out of their <laughs> inheritance, and I think that they should say something about it. I would be behind them 100%. And um, I love what the young lady in, uh, in Northern Ireland is doing for her American husband, trying to stand up for what the Good Friday Agreement says, that she could choose her nationality, and she chooses to be Irish. And if she is Irish, then her husband can be too. 
and the court ruled that she isn't Irish, she is Northern Irish, and she's fighting, and we need to stand behind people like that. So I have total faith in young people. I have faith in them. I have faith in the future. I hope I'm alive long enough to see them do good. You definitely will be. I hope so. But I mean, you are, I think I'm right to say you would be a Labour supporter. You, right or wrong? That's my guess. <coughs> yes. So I'm, 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 I'm left of whatever the centre is this way. So are you disappointed? Because a lot of people say if you'd had anyone other than Corbyn running Labour right now, that they would run away with it. But because he is who he is, that he's not. You know, the left, and this is true in America right now. I didn't know I was going to say this. Um, the left is in a very complex place, whereas mm -hmm. if you're on the right, you aren't. That's interesting. Um, the left is in a very complex place right now. In America, for example, you know, I, I love uh, the Extinction Rebellion movement, but I sort of want to stand up and say, you know, you guys are actually wearing oil. You know, your clothes are made out of oil. Your trainers are oil. Your hair stuff is oil. So if you, like, de-oil yourself, mm -hmm. then, let's, then let's take on BP. But BP's got you people. Your computer is BP. Your computer is oil. Your trainers are oil. The, the paint that you're using to make your signs are oil. Your clothes are fast fashion, that's oil. You're eating oil. You're taking medicine, that's oil. So let's deal with the whole mm. panoply. And if you want to do it like that, then let's see. Let's, let's tell some truths here. But, but nevertheless, that's the problem on the left. There are a lot of different lefts. You've got, um, I hate these terms, but you've got you know, the so-called far left of Bernie Sanders, I don't think he's on the far left, but anyway, he thinks he is. And, um, and then you've got the centrist left, and then you've got the moderate left, and then you've got, and, and, and now as you ask me this question, yeah. I think the idea is because the right wing has boiled down their tropes to simplicity. They to also factoids. have leaders. Love them or hate they them. They have despots, and it's well. easy. And it's easy to do what Trump does. Trump is a salesman. What do you think of that, Mike Bloomberg? Uh, Mike Bloomberg. If we were in a rational world, he'd have a chance, but he's not going to. Not even for the nomination. No, because the 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 thing about uh, the Democratic Party is that the base, one of the big bases, is African American and it's African American women. If you don't win over that, which is why Pete Buttigieg is having a problem, if you don't win them Come over, over, you can't get the nomination. Which is why Hillary got the nomination, because she's always been there for African-American women, so we powered her through. They, they will not vote for anybody who they think, because African-Americans are extremely pragmatic. We are not a romantic people. And the thing that we see is Trump is scared of Joe Biden. Now, Joe is not ideal. I don't even think he should be the president. But if he scares the hell out of Trump, I'm standing with him until somebody else comes along. Uh, and that's how people, that's how African Americans feel right now. So, and they are the base. African Americans vote up and down the ticket. Mm -hmm. uh, we, out, we bring the doorbells. Women, African American women, ring the doorbells. Which is interesting why Kamala Harris and Cory yeah. Booker haven't, Broken through. Uh, broken through, and it's mainly because it goes back to African-American pragmatism. And also, 
we're not a romantic people at all. We sing a lot and we like church, but we're not romantic. I think you're quite romantic. No, no, not at all, really, because when it comes, because we've had to be hoeing too many rows of cotton to be romantic. <laughs> we're not romantic. We are very pragmatic. And somebody is scared of somebody, that's who we want to be with. Because we can't afford to lose. Mm. We can't afford to lose this presidency. So it is really, uh, but I want to talk about Irish Americans for a minute yeah, because this too. is really complicated. It's interesting because you find Irish Americans, Joe Biden is Irish American, and, and, and partly why he is a success and why Trump is scared of him is because the demographic that Joe Biden represents is the one that's voting for Trump. So that demographic voted for Barack Obama and Joe Biden twice. So Trump is scared because they, he might be able to persuade them to vote for him again because he is them. Mm. Trump is not them. He is them. So he understands that they feel, uh, in terms of affirmative action, in terms of a lot of things, that their kids have been left out, their work, their hard workers, their kids haven't been able to do the certain things that they've been able to do. They feel resentful about that. Uh, nobody is addressing their resentment. There is a huge opioid uh, epidemic among Irish Americans. Nobody is talking about this. Nobody is talking about why this is happening. And they don't want anybody to talk about it because people are proud. Yeah, but Bonnie, let me come in. Like the people who, a lot of people voted for Trump, like in the Rust Belt states, right? I got a chance to go there and interview some of them. They too feel very underprivileged. They, yes, they too do. feel yes, a they lot do. of their yes, they do. <clears throat> working class children yes, are on opioid. Yes, and do. they vote for him. And they often think that the Democrats, who I know you support, live in this lovely bubble and the Clintons are this elitist group. So there's no perfect answer here. Well, a lot of time what happens to Americans is that the news is curated. So if you're on the right, you ain't, read, you ain't look at Fox News. Mm. And you don't even really look at Fox News. You look at the headlines on Fox News. If you have times, you, and what Fox News does is it shapes the headlines, and, and Fox, and, and Rupert Murdoch plays Fox News in bus stations, he plays it in supermarkets, he plays it in the shopping malls that are left. Bonnie, I go you back. You should ask me about impeachment, too. Yeah, <clears throat> no. I know you love him. But I'm just saying, I go back to my point, is that people like Trump have risen. Because obviously certain people are very frightened in large numbers of different issues. You started off, you ended your great speech actually by talking about immigration and migration. Now that's something that in this country right now, and I'm even doing it tomorrow night on primetime, is an issue. And it's not that, I don't think, well, I don't think we are racist people, but I think people are nervous in small communities in Ireland. If you go and talk to them, they're actually very Ma fair, Ma but they're quite nervous. Miriam, so you're saying our government people need to talk more to people. Ma Miriam, Civilization, and that's what we're talking about yeah. here, is a process. It's a continuing process. We're not born civilized. Mm. We're not born civilized. And it's easy to have all of us revert to mm. our corners, to our dark places, to the places where we're afraid, yeah. to the places where we hate. And what civilization does, and what the act of civilization, the effort of civilization does, is the and it's a continuing battle. Human but that's the responsibility also now, isn't it, of the social media companies, the huge global mm. Facebooks, Googles, like Sasha Baron Cohen 
made a great speech that was a the great other speech. day that was a magnificent about the role speech. of social magnificent media. Magnificent speech. But again, leadership and governments need to tackle these conglomerates, don't they, and say they do have a responsibility. Because I know you go on about millennials, but I know a few millennials. I do too. Yeah. I'm not great. I mean, I'm, yeah, not no, saying it, yeah. I'm just saying in my home, and like a lot oh, of them get their news from Facebook, and Absolutely. it's often biased, Absolutely. inaccurate Absolutely. news. Absolutely. And you are desperately trying to fight against that as a parent. So well, if, they you know, need to take responsibility. Well, what we, what we need are people who we elect yeah. as leaders to stand up for civilization, stand up for it, understand what it is, stand up for unity, and to talk about <clears throat> coming together instead of division. Because division is our natural fail-safe. To be civilized, to work towards civilization, to, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing, and I know it's a moment, it's a tiny, tiny moment, but we, none of us, lived through World War II. Mm. We may have, some of us may have the legacy of World War II, many of us do. My father was in, in, in England uh, during World War II. We read about World War II. The United Kingdom on Saturday afternoon for the, for the delectation of the English, particularly, we play these documentaries about World War II, but they never really talk about World War II. Mm -hmm. We don't ever really understand that World War II was a battle for civilization itself. It wasn't just a war. It was a battle for civilization. And that battle for civilization didn't stop in 1945. And if we don't turn around and say, and I know we all do, the civilization is what we stand for, is what we fight for until our dying breath. We're not only going to wipe ourselves out, we're going to wipe every species on this planet out with us. There'll be nothing here, nothing, but a burnt out nothing going around the sun. And so we just need to really, really stand up for civilization. I think this is what's happening here, yeah. and to do that. And not be scared to say the word. Don't, not be scared to say it. You know, I stand for civilization. I stand for multinationality. I stand for internationality. I stand for, for multi-ethnicity. I, I have a great niece who, uh, they were reading Toni Morrison in her classroom. Mm. My great niece has blonde hair. And, um, you know, these are little kids. These are like six-year-olds. They don't look at each other and go, oh, what are you, what are you? Mm. And, and they were reading uh, Toni Morrison in the class. And my little great-niece stood up and said, you're reading that wrong. And the teacher said, why do you say that? She said, because my mother is black, and I know, I know. And I'm thinking, for her sake, I'm going to keep fighting for the world she's going to come up in. So she can name herself. She can claim herself. She can be, if she doesn't want to be a black woman, she can be whatever, maybe even be a woman. Mm. She can be whatever the hell she wants. And that is what civilization aims for. The right for all of us, and what I'm doing at the British Museum as well, the right for all of us to reclaim our name, ourselves, toward the greater good mm. and not toward the splitting up of each other. And actually, most people are very civilized. Tell them that story, because Noelle said earlier about your journey here. But there was a poignant moment yeah, on yeah. the train, and just that we all, most people are good. Yes. Tell them Most story. people are good. I should put it this way. Most people, in my experience, and, and living in the United Kingdom, most people don't want to do any harm. Yeah. You know, they're minding their own business. 
They're trying to take care of themselves. Well, okay, um, on the Piccadilly line heading for Heathrow, Terminal 2. Today. Today. Mm -hmm. Most of the people at this particular place uh, at stop were on their way to Heathrow. And there were a lot of people with suitcases. We were all in there. Suddenly, the driver's voice comes across. I think this is a magnificent human being, this man. Mm. And he said in a very quiet voice, he said, there has been an incident, uh, and I will have to stop the train. So I'm thinking, as a former New Yorker, mm. fucking got to get that train. You know, so you took the train, you can't stop the train. Where is Boston? Man? You know, I'm an urbanite. I like being in the city. Anytime I see three cars spaced from each other, I'm nervous. I don't want to know. <laughs> if I see trees, I don't want to be there, okay? I like buildings. You should bring it to Dingo. Yeah, I like tomorrow. tons of people. I like all kinds of colors of people, ages. When I see pavement and no people, I'm scared, okay? <laughs> and so I thought, oh my God, what is this place? I don't see anything. I see nothing here. There are no taxis, anything. And so um, everybody was very quiet because, first of all, we thought it was a bomb. We didn't hear anything. Mm. Then we thought, because there's so much knife crime in, mm. in the city, unfortunately, at the time, I thought, it's a knife fight. Then, um, and of course, this is when I put on my American hat, because I don't do this often, but you know, you know the British mm. have this muddle. They get in a muddle on this train. So everybody know which way to go. And I say, hello, uh, which, uh, which door do we go? And they all turned very gratefully <laughs> and went this way. That's my New York self. And suddenly, um, the lady I was with, a lady on her way to Pakistan, who said to me before we got off, she said, listen, I can do Uber and I'll try and get us a, a car because I have no apps, I'm a techno idiot. And she took her suitcase and she, she, she dragged her suitcase across the divide between the two cars and she said, oh my God. And I said, and I instinctively said, just don't look, keep going. And what had happened was a young woman had thrown herself off the platform. Now, the thing that was amazing about it mm -hmm. was either the driver saw it and hit her, mm -hmm. because if he had braked, he would have killed us and himself, or he has a computer that told him it happened. Mm. But everybody had a sense on that train that something had happened like that and the and the drivers and the announcement said we have to evacuate the station there was not one complaint mm -hmm. there was nothing it was absolute silence people got off i'm telling you we were in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. there were no tr there were no taxis nothing there were foreigners on there who wouldn't know where the hell they were everybody got off they were orderly up the stairs mm -hmm. the people the emergency services came down they were quiet and I thought, this is civilization. Yeah. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. There's someone who has ended their life in just about the most public way you possibly can do it. Yeah. And there was total silence. And that's civilization. Yeah. That's what it is. And these moments are the yeah. things we should hold on to. So. Civilization is when you see somebody crying in the middle of the street and you walk up to them and you say, can I help you? Civilization are those tiny moments, and that's what we fight for. And I think we should call out when our, when our political leaders aren't being civilized. And I don't mean it in a polite, let's have some tea. I mean really say, yeah. that is not, 
That's not what human beings do. No. It's not what they do. Respect for each other. So where did you get these great values? Did you get it from your mother and your father? Tell them the nice story about when your dad was dying and your mom smoking. I can't. Oh, oh. Oh, all right. Okay, one story. Uh, my mother was a big smoker, and I'm really grateful to her for smoking because I've never picked up a cigarette in my life. <laughs> I have never seen anybody smoke who just hated smoking. So my mother was like, you know, she was like, oh, God, she had cigarettes, she had, she had uh, ashtrays. So she, was, she had seven kids. She was washing, cooking, running. So she had cigarettes in there, soap operas. Anyway. So my dad is dying of cancer and uh, really dying of it. And mom is sitting there nursing him and she's smoking. He says uh, in a feeble voice, you know, you shouldn't be smoking around me. And she said, what do you think I'm gonna do, kill you? So, you know, that, that, that is how I am. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the reason now that I'm, I'm talking to you that I love Ireland, and maybe have always liked the Irish people I've met, is because the bullshit quotient yeah. is low. It is. Um, I mean, you you can get a, you can get a lot in other ways, but in the real thing, it's just it's low. I think we should all be talking to each other like we are now, mm. and um, and really, I, <laughs> I I think you know I am so proud. I mean, okay, I'm not gonna cherry coat this or anyway because people have been tweeting me saying, well, you know what's going on in Ireland? Yes, I do. Yes, mm. yes, I'm not. You know, yes, of course. But I was very moved when I went to the Abbey. Of course, being a playwright, the Abbey mm. is one of the holy of holies. And I was invited to the Abbey, and I'm like shaking. Because I'm also vice president of the Shaw Society. So I saw a picture of GBS with red <laughs> hair when he was very young. So, you know, I'm shaking like this at every step of the Abbey. And I almost burst into tears when they told me that they had begun the Abbey before mm. they'd begun the Republic. And any country that strives first mm. to define itself culturally before it is a political entity is a heaven on earth, eventually. Yeah. And really, really think about that and think about the example that this republic can give to the EU and to the rest of the world, which is the example of a people who rose up from their own collectivity and are still rising up from it day after day after day after day, and defines itself in the robustness of a republic on a divided island, and yet holds this republic, and finds within this republic the seeds of its own humanity, its universality, its poetry, its beauty, its audacity, its utter sheer fucking audacity <laughs> to be Irish, to be now. And really, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be Well, we're so thrilled you, you are Thank here. You. Thank you. You're even wearing a green shirt. Green shirt.